Hi, I'm Paul Farnby, and welcome to the Incredible Paul Podcast, where we learn how to become the most incredible versions of ourselves by learning from each other. Today, it's actually a collab. So we have the Incredible Paul Podcast, where we also have the Chris Podcast. So I have my dad, Sonny Farnby, and my brother, Matthew Farnby. How about you guys introduce yourself? I just briefly said your names, but tell me more about yourselves. You go first. Okay, well, I'm Matthew Farnby, like he said, I'm part of the Chris Podcast. Um, I am an electrical engineer. I also do freelance videography, photography, um, creative stuff here and there as well. So, Awesome. All right. I'm Sonny Farumbi, and I'm also an electrical engineer, although I have uh, left engineering behind me for a while now. I do leadership development, coaching, speaking. But my background is engineering and um, project management. Awesome. So for those of you who've been listening and watching the Crow Pop podcast, you may have heard these voices before. So I think my dad was on episode three and my brother, he was on episode eight. So talked a little bit about emotional intelligence. If you haven't seen that episode, definitely go back and check it out. And then my brother, Matthew, talked about chasing his passion with electrical engineering and the photography stuff. So we want to do something a little bit different, get us all together. We all have our, our podcasts and we're all engineers as, as well. Uh, so I'm chemical engineer. Both of you are double E's or electro engineers. So I just diving in a little bit, like at what point did you decide to do other stuff besides engineering stuff or were you already doing some of that stuff all, all along? I mean, you can go first. You're the one that's like no longer really doing yeah, <laughs> engineering sure. stuff. Yeah. So. Well, for me, it actually evolved over so many so many years uh, as an engineer when i began to lead teams um, maybe about five six years into my career when i began to lead teams of engineers that's when i actually realized that i didn't have the skills to lead teams i needed the the appropriate skills to be a better leader of my team to be able to influence to be able to motivate people so i began to think of that and it wasn't until much later when I actually began to lead project teams that I realized I needed to begin to develop those leadership skills a little bit more. So after developing those skills, after those translated into successes in my career, I realized the importance of developing those skills. And that was when the idea occurred to me that a lot of engineers I work with, that I work around me, they needed those skills development also that I needed. Uh, I, I thought I, I saw I needed it myself. So that started the desire in me to begin to teach and coach based on my learnings, my experiences. So that was how that started, maybe about 15 or so years into my career. And I began to stoke that flame a little bit and began to uh, look for leadership development opportunities, began to go for coaching opportunities, and then eventually went into becoming a certified coach. Awesome. So for what I'm hearing you say is really you discovered you had a gap, and with that, you, as you were closing that gap, you found something you are more passionate about and pursued it. Definitely, yeah. Awesome. How about you, Matthew? Yeah, I think for me, the the creative and video and photo stuff came before engineering. Um, just cause I remember growing up, uh, we would always just like, I'd get you guys to like shoot short videos and short skits. And I'd always like take photos and stuff. Um, but I always liked uh, the technical side of like breaking things down and like being on the computer and just like fixing things up. Cause I remember, you know, multiple times while I'd like break my computer <laughs> downloading yeah. or I had to fix just it. glitching yeah, stuff. And then I'd have to go to my dad and be like, uh, my computer doesn't boot up anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, since you are saying that, let me interject here. And I remember when you, um, what was it? Uh, these were the days when uh, hard drives are so, you know, very small, maybe 50 megabytes more than 20 megabytes. Like storage. Yeah, yeah storage on, on, the, on the hard drive. And, and then Matthew want, I don't know what you were storing on your computer hard drive that you had at home, but because you run out of space, then you compress them. Oh. So <laughs> I remember one day he actually compressed the entire hard drive. 
and then it won't start up anymore. Yeah. And I was wondering, no, you what, compress what, the whole thing. <laughs> you compress the whole thing. Yeah. They, and then they can't read any, the operating system cannot read any of the files. So uh, it couldn't. And it actually took me a while because I couldn't understand why until I actually had, well, I had to open it up, take out the hard drive and connect it externally to a different computer. Mm. That was when I realized that it was compressed. So we had to decompress everything. <laughs> never, one massive dot zip file. <laughs> I never knew. Yeah, you probably didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That was no, amazing. I remember that because uh, it goes back because I would always take lots of photos and videos, so my drive would fill up <laughs> quickly. Um, but I was like, oh, I found out how to like compress stuff. You could like send it to compress or whatever. So I was like, oh, I'll just compress my whole it. drive and save like <laughs> lots of space. Um, Oh, that was funny. I, I still remember that very well because I know I was mad. <laughs> I wasn't very happy about that because I was yeah. about a couple of hours trying to, first of all, figure out what was going on <laughs> because the computer wasn't booting. And then yeah. once we figured out how, then yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, for me, I definitely had like both sides. Um, and then going into college, decided to study engineering. And then I think it was my second year within engineering. I got like a part-time job as the videographer for the office registrar. So I was able to do kind of like both again, the freelance stuff and still while studying engineering. So it's always been like both. I, I, I like the freelance because of the creative freedom rather than like working for someone and having to do what they say all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I've been a little bit of both, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there as far as still working full time and then doing this stuff on, on the side. So between working, been working fit manufacturing seven plus years now, and then doing officially doing the Incredible stuff over three years now. So that's been fun. But it really started out with stuff I was doing with colleges and universities, student organizations, from starting a student organization when I was a sophomore to helping with alumni associations. So I think it's all just been building upon it. But I realized that. All the stuff I do with Incredible Paul and Nala STEM with helping people who are underrepresented, historically excluded in STEM, that's my passion. And I think, and we could probably get into this as far as what it's like, because you could talk about the transitioning from working full time to really being on your own full time. Because, and I, I had other guests talk about this. It's different when you are responsible for making money as opposed to yeah. waiting every Friday for the, a paycheck from a company. And so for myself, I, I'm really passionate about the stuff I'm doing, but I haven't really made the full jump. And I maybe I will. I mean, it's really just circumstances as far as if I'll make the full jump to only doing Incredible stuff and the nonprofit stuff. But I don't like talk about that. Like, was there a catalyst or a specific point that made you want to do that? Well, just like uh, you guys have spoken to earlier, I, I, was, I was still in paid employment when I began to explore the area of leadership. So sharing, uh, occasionally coaching, I was writing blogs, mm-hmm. and I was doing a lot of that while I was still had a full-time, a full-time job. And I thought, no, I'll just continue to explore this. Mm-hmm. A little bit before that, but then the point came when there was a major change in the company where I was working at the time, and and as a Christian, I just prayed. I was thinking, you know, is this the time? It's been I've been have the impression in my spirit that this is I, I need to do what I'm doing full time in terms of leadership, the area of leadership development, mm-hmm. and I've I think maybe I was afraid to make the jump. Uh, there was something in there that says, you know. You, you 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 get the comfort of the you know paycheck every mm-hmm. two weeks you don't want mm-hmm. that to to suddenly end mm-hmm. but then i continue to pray and i continue to get this impression that it's time it's just mm-hmm. time to go whether the paycheck is coming in or not mm-hmm. just time to go and i had the opportunity of uh capitalizing on the change in the organization where I was working at the time, there was a change and I took the opportunity and, and left and you know, just began to now focus more on 
uh, the first few months I was focusing more on getting my certification mm -hmm. uh, with the John Maxwell team at the time, then the emotional intelligence certification and getting a lot of things together. Also during, uh, before then, before then, because of my emotional intelligence coaching certification, I have been able to coalesce my experience with a lot of things I was learning in emotional intelligence into a two-day course, into oh, wow. a complete two-day seminar that I think will be very, very powerful to STEM professionals and project managers, which was my tribe, the people I was working with most of the time. So I already had that developed. So once I finished the emotional intelligence certification, I began to reach out to organization that has a lot of engineers and project mm -hmm. managers. In the process, I got in touch with the PMI, Project Management Institute. Okay. I looked at their, the catalog of their trainings. It used to be called Seminars World. Okay. Now it's called PMI Training. And I saw that there is nothing about emotional intelligence in there. And according to the PMI triangle, the talent triangle, they call it, uh, emotional in intelligence is called out in the leadership side oh, of the triangle, wow. but there was no training that's actually addressing that. So oh, wow. uh, I leveraged uh, one of the relationships I've developed uh, in PMI years ago to be able to reach out and find out. And I presented the proposal to PMI about this particular training. It was accepted and we're going strong. This is the sixth, seventh year of Wow. Doing that with the PMI. So in a way, that has that's how the transition has been. And because of my involvement with PMI, I always get opportunities to speak at major conferences. I get invited. People will see me at PMI conferences. Either invite me to their chapter uh, conferences, to their organizations to okay. do training or to speak at their professional development day events and things like that. So that has been the kind of transition. Okay. Well, that that's amazing. I think that really leads into this concept of networking, and we all I think we've all heard it said that it's not who you, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. And like I think firsthand, you talk about it there as far as being connected with someone who is in the room making those decisions, yeah. and then also realizing there was a gap. I feel like a lot of people have ideas for businesses. For whatever reason, they're afraid to make the jump and they feel like something's missing, but they think that someone else is going to do it. But you saw that cap, you had the connection and then you went for it. So I think that's amazing. But Matthew, what about you as far as I know you kind of talked about this. I know growing up, we used to do the different movies and Agent Dan and all this, <laughs> all that stuff. And I know you've been doing a lot of photography stuff, videography stuff, and I know you've been doing the podcast as well. I guess, is there anything between the, the stuff that you've been doing that you feel like knowing someone or networking has made an impact for you, either like directly any of the videography or photography stuff mm -hmm. or like in business or anything? Yeah, I think most of the the projects or clients I have have been either like friends or friends or like extensions of that. Mm -hmm. It's usually not been people I just like completely don't know. Um, so I think initially like friends I've made, um, even from like music, cause I play guitar and stuff. I, I shot, um, uh, I think it was last year, a couple times I shot like some concerts, um, mm -hmm. from like a friend of a friend who reached out. Okay. Um, and then from there was able to make a connection from another friend of a friend to, oh, wow. so I think it, it's always, especially for videography and photography, cause, um, you want to know the quality of that person's work and sometimes reaching out to a stranger, you can see like what they put out, but knowing someone makes that connection even better. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely been like the connection there. Um, when, um, finding clients and things like that. So makes sense. If I, if I can add quickly to that, because we are talking about the importance of connections, uh, building uh, uh, networks and mm -hmm. relationships for anyone in any kind of business, whether it's you're an entrepreneur or you're working anywhere, what I have learned, what I have learned, uh, at least in my career, is that uh, no one is an island. No one knows everything. And... That's one of the reasons why, personally, I don't know what you guys think, but personally, I, 
I don't want to use the word hate because that is a strong word. <laughs> but I don't I don't like the idea of a self-made man or a self-made person. Mm. Because I do not believe there's anyone that is self-made. And my initial obvious argument is that you didn't make yourself. Somebody gave birth to you, <laughs> yeah. first of all. Yeah. Yeah. That's one. Uh, secondly, um, even if you develop a product, you developed uh, a service, people need to buy into the service. Mm-hmm. People need to see the value in the product uh, for them to... to, to for you to be successful. Mm-hmm. So if people do not see the value in your service or in your product, guess what? You are not going to be successful. So you may have the vision, you may have the idea, but people, your customers, have to buy into it before you can actually claim uh, success. And funnily enough, most people, you can ask many of the people that we think pull themselves over their bootstraps, maybe uh, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or something like that. They have collaborators. They have people Mm -hmm. that they also depend on, especially in those formative years. So Mm -hmm. we can now overemphasize the importance of relationship, building networks. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this. At least from my experience, many of us do not build those relationships, develop those networks until we need them. Mm When we realize that we need them, that's when we now start to make an effort. Mm-hmm. But I have since learned, I'm sure you guys have too, that we need to make the effort to develop those relationships daily on an ongoing basis before you even know how you are going to need those relationships. It's very important to be intentional about doing that because you never know how it's going to pan out. Yeah, and something that just came up to mind is um, while you're talking about that is the importance of, I think, not burning bridges, too, because yeah. I think either if it's a career and you got fired from something or you no longer have a close relationship with someone, mm-hmm. um, not going even further to make that uh, even worse, because you never know in life where you're going to be and or if you're going to need that relationship or who they're going to be in charge of that, um, that connection might be that connection might need to be there again, in a sense. So. That's just what came to mind when you talked about it as well. Yeah, that's so true. And as someone who's transitioned careers from different companies a few different times, <laughs> uh, so on my fourth different company after college, uh, I definitely agree with that as far as making sure you're leaving well, you're not burning those bridges. I mean, even the first opportunity I had was in Conagra Brands. Uh, I was only there two and a half months, and you would think, you're not there that long that you probably feel like you're burning a bridge. And I thought I was, but the manager I had and the people that I was in contact with, they already saw the value I was adding to them. And I was able to leave well. Mm-hmm. And they even told me, like, if anything doesn't work out, I can always come back. And I was just after two and a half months. I wasn't expecting that because yeah. I had a specific, yeah. Yeah, I had a specific place that I wanted to go as far as work for an international company and, and traveling and things like that. And then what you were talking about, the self-made millionaire, self-made man or woman, I totally agree. There's no one that's self-made from the very basis of being born mm-hmm. or like even someone to buy your product. You yeah. can't yeah. buy your, I mean, oh, you yeah. can, you can buy your own product. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can, can buy it, but you're, you're not making any money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then if you already have the money, then you, mm. that's not, that's not part of it. Yeah. And I like what you were saying about being intentional mm-hmm. with the networking and um, building those relationships that a lot, a lot of times people don't do it until they have to. Until like, you realize that you need it. And, yeah. and that's one of the things that I have. And I knew I learned this from experience because that used to be me. Now, if I go lean towards my emotional intelligence experience a little bit, uh, when I first took the emotional intelligence assessment, um, there are 15 distinct skills that's called out. One of them is interpersonal relationships, which is how you build and develop these networks. My score in interpersonal relationships was the second lowest out of all the 15. Oh, wow. So it was definitely an area of opportunity for me. So I saw that and I began, I had to be intentional. I had to be intentional about making connections and connecting with people. And I love what you said about even when you leave, when you leave organizations, 
Uh, I think Matthew said that also. When you leave organization, making sure you are not you are not uh, you are not burning bridges. Now, I want to add to that that even if maybe when you are about to leave, maybe somebody has ignited the bridge on one end, yeah. about to set fire to yeah. it, yeah. and I, I'm sure you know understand what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. You can um, only really control your side. Of exactly, it. Yeah. You, you are not you are not uh, you are not the one lighting the fire, igniting mm-hmm. the thing, but somebody because you no. Know, you can't control what other people can will do. Mm-hmm. So somebody else is kind of you no know, putting fire on the bridge to to try and burn it. I think part of being intentional is for for us to decide to try to put out that fire, even if mm-hmm. we are not the one that started it, because we know what we are doing. We know that we want that bridge to to stay in, intact. I'll give you uh, an example without re- referencing companies or names of people. To protect the innocent. Yes. <laughs> and some of the guilty, oh, too. Yeah, the guilty, too. <laughs> yeah. um, there, was, um, there was... Somebody was about to leave the organization, and the way the person was leaving was not... Uh, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. He thought his manager did not do right by him. Oh, wow. So... So he was at the beginning. He was he was he was going to really during the exit interview talk to the HR people about some of what he thinks are the atrocities the manager has committed mm-hmm. or things like that. Not really atrocity, but things that were not that would not have portrayed the manager in a in a very good light uh, in doing that. So during the exit interview, so I think he hinted that to the HR people, mm-hmm. and then at the exit interview. Uh, he had some. Re- he had done some rethinking about that and decided exactly what we we're talking about. Maybe in this case, he actually kind of ignited the bridge, wanted to burn it. When he realized, okay, I don't want to do this, and quickly put out the fire. So at the at the exit interview, uh, because he has already mentioned that to the HR person, uh, the HR person actually brought it up. Oh, brought it up wow. with with him, his manager, and the HR person there. And when the HR person brought it up, he quickly said, you know what, that's not an issue. He said, that's not an issue. We don't need to discuss that anymore. So I'm I'm saying that to say, even when when we're the one that igniting the bridge to burn it or somebody else is burning it, we can do some some reflection and insight that will help us realize, no matter what, I may not be happy with what's going on, even if I'm exiting the company, but I still do not want to burn this bridge. Yeah. And we can do the best that we can. And that's, I think that's the concept of, of grace, really you know, doing good for some bad things that could have been done to us, not mm-hmm. paying them in, in kind, in yeah. bad kind, but doing good instead. So. Yeah. And the other thing is that people change not only jobs, so they might end up in somewhere else and yeah. you might need them yeah. or where you're going. But people change. There's uh, just growing personal growth. There's people, and I know even you talk about from your your story that like just because someone is this way and it doesn't show good leadership skills or is showing all these signs, negative characteristics, that doesn't mean they're always going to be that way. Uh, And when they do change and they see that you're showing them grace, they're going to be that much more thankful. And that can also be a trigger for them to start changing because yeah. a lot, a lot of, I always talk about, it's not about how you not to react, but to respond mm-hmm. because you cannot control what other people are doing or saying. You can only control how you respond to it. And based on your response, it can soften someone that's coming at you really hard yeah, it can. or it can escalate. Mm-hmm. Oh. A soft answer turns a way wrath. Yeah, that's very true. Mm-hmm. But another thing I want to hit on because just from coaching different people through their careers and things is there's this idea of the company loyalty or doing what's best for the company, even if it's to the detriment of themselves. And so I have some thoughts on that, but I wanted to get your thoughts first as far as do you believe in company loyalty and what would you do if you were in a situation that you, the company wasn't doing the right thing for you? Oh, you want me to start? Um, I, I definitely believe in co- company loyalty to an extent. I think um, at the same time, a business is a business, and usually they're going to do 
um, what's best for the business and not necessarily what's best for you. Um, so on the other side, you need to take the initiative to do what's best for yourself in certain situations um, and putting yourself above the company when it comes to certain choices and certain things, making sure you're doing what's best for you and not necessarily, I know it's a balance, not necessarily mm-hmm. what's best for the company all the time. And if, if it comes to maybe this company is not the right company for me to work for long-term mm-hmm. making that choice. Um, so I, I definitely think that ultimately the company is going to put themselves first. So mm-hmm. you need to be intentional about putting yourself first um, in situations like that. Well, I think loyalty goes both ways. I think I think it's it's a it's a kind of a two way, uh, two way street. But having said that, though, to me personally, I believe the concept of loyalty actually comes out of character and integrity. I think that's that's it comes it comes out of there. So uh, the way I see, it doesn't matter how loyal or disloyal the company is. As an employee or somebody who works there, uh, how do I want to respond to that? Uh, because of who I am. So it's my character, it's my integrity that is at play here. Mm-hmm. And this is a very dicey thing to, to, uh, to navigate uh, sometimes. If you see uh, organizations that are not lawyer, and it depends on what we even call loyalty, what's lawyer, what's not lawyer. You have to define yeah. it. You know, like, like you were saying, Matthew, there's organizations that exist to make money. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that most people, most of us who work in organizations, we don't seem to get that companies exist to be profitable. Mm-hmm. They exist to be profitable. So uh, the fact that they are paying you every two weeks, you know, they're not doing it out of the goodwill of their heart. They are doing it because there's some value you are adding to yeah. them. And out of that value you are adding to them, they're actually giving you a little bit a little back as, mm-hmm. as uh, in, your, in your paycheck. So when we remember that organizations exist to make profits, to, uh, to make money, I think it can help us uh, with some kind of reflection, some kind of insight to realize that, guess what? When it comes to the organization, it's really not about me. And we have to, we have to get to that mm-hmm. level that we have to see it from the perspective of the organization that mm-hmm. it's not about me. Yeah, most of us think it's about us, but it's really not about me and be able to put yourself in their shoes. So uh, for me, maybe as an entrepreneur, uh, that experience has taught me some things to be able to put myself in the shoes of the organization that says, okay, if I were the one calling the shots, if I were the one doing this, how would I approach it? Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is that leaders no organization is an entity yeah but it's a living breathing entity but um it's not like a human being kind of the humans that run the organization give that organization its identity mm-hmm. and and sometimes actually more often than not the behaviors of leaders in the organization is what reflects in in the in the company in the organization that's why they said people do not leave organizations they leave their they leave their managers. Mm-hmm. So for me, when it comes to loyalty, one of the things that I have learned to differentiate is if I believe organization is not doing well by me, is it the organization or is it my manager? Or is it mm-hmm. somebody? We have to be able to make that distinction mm-hmm. and to be able to not label the entire organization. This organization is not good. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen because <laughs> cultures... No, there yeah. are some cultures, terrible, mm-hmm. toxic workplace environment that have been allowed. It goes back to the leadership, mm-hmm. no, something like that. But uh, in the context of one-on-one relationships, I think the, uh, the relationship and the loyalty of the manager to the, to, to the employee or the other way goes a very, very long way yeah. in determining that. So we have to be able to see it in that context. So that's why I said that loyalty goes, it kind of goes both ways and it also depends on how you define it. Yeah. No, that's good. You kind of stole some of my answers. Okay. That's but <laughs> in short, no, I agree with both of you. In short, I do not believe in company loyalty mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. I know you were talking as far as like 
uh, companies are there uh, for a business and then the companies are also made of people. And so the way I see it is that I'm not there for the company itself. I'm there obviously to provide value for the company, but I'm also getting value back, yeah. whether that's monetary value at a very minimum. We can get into that as far as mm -hmm. how much salary comes into play. It's really a minimum thing. And then from that, there's a lot of other factors that are important. And then from there, it's like the, the manager, the experiences you're getting. So I think that goes directly from my path. I told you I was at the first company I was at for two and a half months, not because I didn't like the company, more so because the path I wanted to go, that company couldn't do it. And so I went to the next company. And then as I created my path, I, I tried to carve out what I wanted to do and talk and network, talk with managers, do these things. And you have, so it's, it's interesting. You can tell from a uh, company culture what it, what they're like as far as uh, they talk about family values or integrity or putting safety, quality, all those things first. But then there are specific people within the company themselves that may not line up with those values. Exactly, exactly. And what I look at is how does the company react when those people are there? Are they able to comfortably exist and no one says okay. anything? Or are they uncomfortable and do they end up leaving? So like just from past companies, there's been some that they say one thing, but as far as actually taking action to make sure those people are held accountable, mm -hmm. nothing really gets done. Yeah. And then other companies where there's people going above and beyond even what the company is doing and really working to develop you and so not to say that I'm just going to quit a company and just not do what I'm supposed to do, but I really focus more on the individual people yes. and where I'm trying to go. So I, all the different, I guess the first one, I didn't really do that because I was still learning. But every time I've made a transition, I've been very clear as far as what I want to get out of it and where I'm trying to go. Not to say that at the first jump, I'm going to leave. But these are my overall, uh, this is the overall path I want to take. Uh, this is my working style. I just really put it all on the table. Yeah. As I realize if I am not my authentic self, that I'm going to be miserable there. Yeah, you will be. Uh, and so it's, I, need, I just need to be more intentional about yeah, it. Yeah. As you're saying this, I remember this was several years ago, maybe eight, ten years ago. Uh, during one of my travels, I was at Chicago here, but and I saw it, it's become popular now, but the first time I saw it was almost 10 years ago. Uh, it was one corner in one of the concourses in Chicago airport, uh, just small, a small sign. And it says something, it says chief career officer. And it just occurred to me that each one of us, we are our own chief career officer. Mm -hmm. We are in charge of our own careers. And I've, I've heard of, um, of people who complain that their companies is not developing them. Yeah, they are not developing too. them, but you have to take the initiative to develop yourself. Mm -hmm. If you have a need, if you have a need for development and, uh, and you are working in a company, you should take it to your manager or to whosoever mm -hmm. to say, this is my path. Well, first of all, good organizations should be having managers should be having those conversations mm -hmm. with their with their people but if you are in a situation where you don't have that opportunity then you should be leading that conversation mm -hmm. you should be going to your manager and say okay this is where i want to go or uh, what's next in line mm -hmm. for me how do we get there what are the development opportunities that is available for me to be able to do some of uh, some of these things we have to take the initiatives and all of that has been changing over the last 10, 15 mm -hmm. years. Maybe yeah. about 30 years ago, people just sit in their jobs and <laughs> they're waiting for the next promotion yeah. to happen. They get mad if they're not, pro pro somebody else is promoted over them and mm -hmm. things like that. But taking initiative, and that's one of the things with the upcoming generation, taking initiatives to really look at and say, this is what I want. This is where I want to go. Can you help me get there? And what I found out with good organizations is that they have, managers have those conversations with their people and they help their people get there. They help mm -hmm. their people get to where they want to. And I have even seen um, in good teams, 
where a manager will help one of their team members transition away from their team, a valuable team member, not that they want to get rid of them, mm -hmm. somebody that they like, that they want, that is working well for their team. They help them transition away from their own team to another team mm -hmm. because that's good for the career of that person. Mm -hmm. And they see that. When you do something like that, you tying it back to loyalty, mm -hmm. you will see a lot of uh, company loyalty. Mm -hmm. It's company loyalty, but really, most of the time, the loyalty is to the manager who is helping them. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen instances where that happens, and that person goes to another group, and that yeah. same level of loyalty that they had is not there anymore. Yeah. They become disillusioned, and they are not happy with what's going on. So, uh, And that's the reason why top leadership is very, very critical mm -hmm. in making sure principles like that and concepts like that gets filtered down throughout the organization so that it's the same. Whichever group you find yourself. Yeah, well, that's good. As far as like having a good leader there and that really keeps the group together and develops people, mm -hmm. I have a story about that when I was first with Perita, the first year I was there. As far as a manager coming in that really was focused on developing people. And actually, when I first came in, he told me, I don't expect you to be in this role more more than two years as far as what is what what do you want to develop in whether you're promoted within this kind of group or you go on to something else so he was intentional that was the first time i saw that in the interview process yeah. someone mm -hmm. telling Even me before about you that. came in yeah, yeah before i came in and so i was already going to ask about that but he was up front with it so that i was already already knew this is where i wanted to be and so he was there for the first year year plus into the the next year and then we transitioned he transitioned to another role. He moved to um, another state. Uh, it was a promotion for him, more development. And so someone else in the department now was over. Uh, there were two different people. One had one set of people and another had another set of people. And now when he left, um, they kind of restructured. And so a few of us are reporting to these other person. And so what we didn't realize was that how much that director or manager was doing, even though he wasn't directly managing everyone. He was really holding everything together. And so it, was, it started off little, but I think what kind of accelerated it was with COVID hit. And so everything went virtual, how it started to feel like a lot of micromanaging, not a lot of clarity, not a lot of trust. And so what ended up happening, to make a long story short, is that out of this group of 20 people, five people end up leaving within a three month span. Wow. Me being one of them, I was the only one that stayed with the company. The other four actually left the company. They had been with uh, Perina for, I think the, for the shortest of them, they had been there five years, up to like nine years with the company. And so all of us lived within this more than time. You went to another group. Yeah, I went to company. another group. So I know that's what you mentioned as far mm -hmm. as I knew the, I understood the culture of Purina as something that didn't really allow for this and had relationships other other places with networking. Mm -hmm. And it was where I wanted to go anyway. So I was fortunate enough to move in that direction. Otherwise, I might have left too. Yeah. So that just goes to show that when there's that change in leadership and when you're not getting that development and then having a, a catastrophic event like COVID happen, people don't know how to, under how to manage through it which i know like uh by our pa my pastor talked about there are a lot of pastors that quit during covid and a lot of leaders there are a lot of ceos that quit during covid as well it was a really tough leadership situation yeah. so when and that's when you really see how rooted someone is as far as their leadership or their character you don't you don't have to, they don't have to model it until there's something that bad that Until happens. pressure comes. Uh, when the pressure, pressure comes. Pressure brings out, and uh, just to add to what you were saying, yeah. I, I've seen people, I've seen, I've seen some managers who say that that is, is the pressure or is the circumstances that is making them behave in ways that Maybe they, they, do, they didn't want to behave in, mm -hmm. you know, bring down something. But what I've learned is that, guess what? Whatever the way you react to pressure, that's already inside of you. Mm -hmm. Pressure brings it out. Mm -hmm. you know, the analogy I use some, sometimes is that it's like an orange. It's an orange complaining that 
you squeeze me and I'm, 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 I'm bringing out orange juice. It's your fault that I'm bringing out orange. No, it's not my, it's not my, anybody's fault. Yes, that person applies the pressure, but the juice is already, is already inside. So what's already inside of us is what comes out. The pressure just brings it out. If I do not like what's coming out of me when pressure comes, it's my responsibility to begin to work within myself to change what comes out yeah. when the pressure comes. Instead of blaming people who are applying the pressure, because whether we like it or not, the pressure will come. Yeah. It's life. Pressure will come from any direction that you, you will find yourself. So I just wanted to throw that in. No, that's true. Only thing constant is change. Yeah. And so just understanding this, so I know not everyone is as familiar with this, but it really talks about behaviors and what people are more inclined to, whether this is, um, D is more direct, I is more influence, S is steady, and C is conscientious. I was just the basis there. Conscientious is more like thoughtful and more analytical. And so recently uh, had some training with our company on this. I've done it before, but this was just a reminder. And majority of the population are S's, so that's steady. So they don't like change. They don't. They want everything to stay the same. When change happens or something, they don't react well because they feel like they're out of control. And I think that's just something to be more intentional is that we don't always realize that people, when you ask someone the question, do you like change? They, depending on how the context of it, more likely or not, they probably will tell you yes. But it's not that they don't like change. People don't like change that is not their own change or being forced to change. I think that's the... Unexpected. Yeah. Maybe. Unexpected, unexpected change. Or, yeah, and I think, yeah, I, just don't, I think it's just... People don't like when they're not in control. Yeah, I think that was control. a big part, but continue. That's just something no, like yeah, that's that's basically where I was going. Is when you're they lose that lack of control. So especially as leaders, like we were all going through uh, the pandemic and COVID and all this stuff. Like no one knew what was going on. And when people talk about listening to the science, like we as engineers and anyone who's in STEM, we understand the scientific model the scientific method that you're observing what happens and then whatever and then you can create theories or models from that so i, I a lot of people are saying oh things are changing every day well that's just because we have no idea we're just observing what's happening and that based that's on what's happening what science is yeah I mean, that's, that's all observation of what's happening yeah but i think there's this whole concept that science is something magical that can predict something that no one knows but I think mean, that's how it was portrayed, I feel like. I kind of got off on a, a tangent, but really just being mindful, and I always talk about developing resist resilience, is understanding that change is inevitable, rejection is inevitable, and then I also heard this concept about rejection is redirection. Mm -hmm. As far as, I know for us as people of faith, that when things happen that we didn't want to happen, that oftentimes we know that that's protection from God, either that it that wasn't going to work out long term, or maybe we weren't ready for it, so that we would be in there and then something would happen, mm -hmm. or and maybe there's just more work that we yeah. have to be doing internally. Yeah. The thing with change, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of pivoted into talking about, about change, and... Uh, it actually takes him back to, I had a coaching session this morning and we're actually talking uh, talking about the thing with change is that, first of all, the there's also one of the emotional intelligence skills that deals with that, it's called flexibility. Oh, yeah. Flexibility, so if you're not flexible, that means you're, you're not changing, kind of. And the, the truth is, whether we like it or not, change, like you say, is inevitable. Mm -hmm. As long as you have blood, no, kind of red blood flowing in your veins. Yeah. <laughs> Change is inevitable. It's just it's just a part of life, the normal part of life, whether we like it or not. Nothing goes on forever the same way. It's as you said, how we respond to it, how we adapt to change. And I was I was sharing during the coaching session this morning that uh, our rational mind, just like you were saying, that when you ask somebody. Uh, if they they uh, 
they accept change or how amenable they are to change. They may say, yeah, yeah, they are kind of receptive to change. Yeah, in their rational, you know, cognitive mind, they will think that. But when change comes, it's not the rational mind that is responding, mm-hmm. it's your emotional mind mm-hmm. that is responding to change. And usually we, we, we don't react very well. Uh, you know, we react negatively uh, to change unless we continually on a daily basis train ourselves to remind ourselves that in life, change is inevitable. It's going to come, whether we like it or not. Just preparing for it, preparing so that the way our, our, mind, our mind works. And another thing is this. Uh, you talked about uh, us being people of faith when change comes and, and things like that. Some of the things that I've found out, I've seen in my experience, is that sometimes change actually happens to help us course-correct because... That stability that most of us are looking for, wanting to just stay the same, you know, may not be good for you. Mm-hmm. And then the change comes to kind of, you know, take you off that course, that stable course that you think uh, you you want to be in, and also to to make sure that things happen. And sometimes change takes you; those changes force you into situations that actually are good for you. I remember, and I shared that story in that coaching session earlier today. It was from maybe five or six years ago. I was in a, uh, I was teaching a public seminar in emotional intelligence in Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and it was about 50, 60 people in the class. And this guy, um, uh, at lunch, it was the, the seminar was in the hotel. So usually, if the hotel has a restaurant, I eat lunch there because I want to quickly eat and come back before everybody comes in. Or if there is no res- restaurant in the hotel, I find somewhere close by so that I don't take a long time. But anyway, so this restaurant has a ho- uh, this hotel has a restaurant, and uh, as I walked in, I saw someone in the class, a face I recognized. Uh-huh. And here's another thing I've I've addition I've made a while ago that if I go to a restaurant at lunch and there's somebody in my class there, I will ask them if I can sit with them. So. So I sat with this guy, and he started telling me his story. And then he told me that um, he's made some mistake in his life, and he went to jail. That he's been in prison. Wow. He, has, he has been in prison. But while in prison, he, uh, he, uh, he had an encounter with some kind of prison ministry. So they came in there. You know, he dedicated his life to God, and wow. he had a change, and he began to work with them. So after his release from, from prison, he began, he continued to work with that ministry. And at the time he was speaking to me, he has actually started his own ministry that does something similar wow. to rehabilitate uh, prisoners. He goes to prisons and, and help to touch hearts and change people's lives. So he told me that at lunch, and he said that he really enjoys what he was doing. Now, after lunch, after lunch, we began to talk about one of the skills, one of the emotional intelligence skills uh, that we call optimism, you know, seeing the positives, having hope that things will get better uh, in the future. And one of the key attributes of optimism is, is gratitude, is being able to, to not focus on what's not going well, but to focus on uh, what's going well mm. and being grateful for those kind of things. So I remember in class after lunch that day, I started asking people, so just you know, share with us one thing that you are grateful for, just one thing. So usually people say families, uh, jobs, good health, and things like that. And this guy, you know, he was sitting to my right, almost towards the back of the room. And he got up, he said, I'm thankful for my mistakes. Wow. Now, nobody else in the class knew. He didn't say more than that. So nobody else in the class knew what he was talking about. Because, but because I sat with him at lunch, mm-hmm. he told me the story. I knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm thankful for the mistake I've made in the past because if not for those mistakes, I would not be where I am today. Mm-hmm. So why am, I, why am I sharing all this? There are some changes in our lives that we don't like. They are not they are not palatable to us when they were happening. But we can, with the benefit of hindsight, be able to look back mm-hmm. and see that those changes were necessary 
to help us step into something bigger, something better. If those changes were not have not happened, even though we didn't really like them when they were happening mm-hmm. at that time, if those changes had not happened, we would not be where we are today. So yeah. that's one of the things, you know, talking about change. So in the moment, even when we're in the moment of change, uh, that I try to bring to mind and say, you know what, I may not like this change right now, but maybe there are opportunities that is hiding behind this change. Mm-hmm. If I discount everything and let it go, I may miss those opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really great conversation as far as I know we shared a little bit about our background all engineering, but I think we really centered on this idea of emotional intelligence and bouncing back. So I, I really I really love that. This whole idea of change being inevitable and being resilient and emotional intelligence is really key. I know there we can go way more in depth. You have two day seminars on emotional intelligence. We're not gonna do a two day podcast, so don't worry about that. But it's really I think the whole, if you can wrap everything up, is really just being intentional about whether it's in your career, in your business, Mm -hmm. in what you're doing. So as far as everyone that's been listening to the podcast, what is something that you have been thinking about doing that you haven't done? Why are you not doing it? And just seeking out the people that are doing it. Maybe it's not the if you're trying to be an author, not seeking out a, an author that has written a hundred books, or maybe you just, you start learning the process, maybe going back to school, whatever it is, just take that first step. But I do want to make sure people know where to find you. I know if they've listened to a previous podcast, they know that, but like, how can people find both of you as far as social media websites, that sort of thing? Well, my website is sunnyspeaks.com and you can find me there. Awesome. So you can find me at MatthewFarnby.com. All the links to like my social media and all that stuff is there. Also, the links to the Crisp podcast that we do um, is there as well. Yes. So definitely love this collaboration between the Crow Paul podcast and the Crisp podcast. I think it was maybe, maybe a little bit more heavy on the Crow Paul podcast, but it, it's it's been awesome. So for those of you who are maybe not listening on my podcast, but listening on the Crisp podcast. You can find me on social media. I am Incredible Paul, I N C R E D I Paul. Incredible Paul, I am Incredible Paul or IncrediblePaul.org. Paul Ferranbi, search for it. You can find it pretty much anywhere. I'm on all the socials Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, not Facebook. That's the only place you won't find me. <laughs> Linked it as well. Well, guys, this has been another episode of Chris the Podcast. Um, As always, you can find us on Facebook, uh, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. Yeah.